0: The committee will come to order, and uh, today uh, we are going to talk about arms control, and we have very distinguished witnesses uh, uh, to help us through this. I have a uh, uh, brief, semi-brief opening statement to make. I'll then turn it over to Senator Menendez, and we will then Uh, talk about uh, questioning from the committee, and we'll do a a round of uh, questions. So uh, with that, uh, we are going to talk about arms control today, and treaties, particularly arms control treaties, uh, can be very, very successful, but only, and only if, all the parties have a common objective and the parties act in good faith. Arms control is only successful when treaties are honored, and confidence is only achievable when countries behave in a responsible and transparent way. It is in this context that I commend the administration for its actions regarding Russia's blatant violation of the uh, Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. I also want to thank our NATO allies for their strong support for the U.S. decision to withdraw. For the past several years, the Russian government has systematically violated the INF Treaty and deployed systems that undermine the stability that the treaty helped create. Violations of treaty obligations must have consequences. These uh, violations have gone on for a long period of time. Uh, They were classified for a period of time, and uh, those of us uh, who wanted to bring these uh, to the public's attention were very frustrated by the fact that we couldn't talk about them because they were classified, particularly in light of the fact that those violations uh, uh, help people think through what our relationship should be with the country and how uh, we should or should not deal with the uh, uh, ongoing uh, treaty negotiations, at, which were ongoing at that time. Russia's violations are part of a pattern of aggressive and dishonest behavior that, that must be taken into account in any future arms control efforts. We have had four agreements with Russia. New START, the INF Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, and the Chemical Weapons Convention. Russian compliance is problematic across the board with all of these treaties. In Open Skies, on Open Skies Treaty, Russia continues to illegally limit our ability to overfly key military areas. Russia changes the subject when it comes to the Chemical Weapons Convention. They have yet to take responsibility for killing a British citizen with an undeclared nerve agent on British soil last year or for their complicity when their ally Bashar Assad used chemical weapons against Syrian civilians. Given this behavior, the U.S. needs to consider more carefully uh, than ever now how we engage Russia regarding any treaty. Russia is modernizing and growing the size and and uh, capacity of its nuclear forces. Putin's arsenal of non-strategic nuclear weapons is being revamped to make it more useful, not just for deterrence, but for coercion in support of Russia's aggressive foreign policy. Russia currently possesses roughly 2,000 such tactical nuclear warheads and refuses to share vital information on these weapons, which creates an unacceptable level of ambiguity about these capabilities. Russia also claims to be enhancing their strategic systems, developing new high-yield warhead and new delivery systems that can uh, carry multiple warheads. Why would Russia build a new ballistic missile that can carry more heads than allowed by New START unless they have no regard for New START and no intent of, uh, of complying with New START? In fact, Russia's modernization is almost 70% complete. By comparison, U.S. modernization is well behind that. Even further, Russia is developing new systems like a nuclear underwater drone, a nuclear-armed intercontinental range cruise missile, and air-launched cruise missiles. These systems are limited by new start, but Russia rejects even the assertion that they are limited. This is not good faith. These improvements present significant threats to strategic stability of the United States and our allies. Going forward, it is important for Putin to understand that we will not allow actions to go unchallenged, and that alliance unity on these topics remains strong. At the same time, the world has changed in the past decade, and U.S. policy must recognize China's increasingly aggressive pursuit of regional uh, challenges and to U.S. interests. China's growing capabilities and its even greater lack of transparency create uncertainty about Chinese intentions in the Pacific and raise important questions about the role of U.S. extended nuclear deterrence in the region. Reports indicate China is on track to double its nuclear stockpile over the next decade. Last year, they launched more ballistic missiles for testing and training than the rest of the world combined. More troubling is China's plans to deploy tactical nuclear weapons, but constantly refuse to even discuss arms control. This threat is real, and I'm disappointed by those who argue that including China in arms control discussions is a poison pill to new agreements with Russia. The opposite is true. A responsible approach to arms control must account for all nuclear threats to the United States. And it is indisputable that Russia is no longer the only nuclear threat to the United States and to global stability. Arms control is a critical part of addressing these threats, but a strong modern, modern U.S. nuclear deterrent is also essential to strategic stability. As we consider new approaches to arms control, Congress needs to fully fund and the administration needs to vigorously implement All programs needed to modernize our nuclear forces. In closing, I repeat that the challenges to to arms control emanate not from the U.S., but from the numerous and continuing Russian violations, from growing Russian and Chinese capabilities, and from China's unwillingness to even discuss these topics. Arms control is not an end in and of itself and cannot protect the United States if our treaty partners refuse to abide by their treaty obligations and do not act in good faith. I thank our witnesses for joining us today and look forward to hearing their clear-eyed assessment of the current status of these issues and the administration's views on future approaches. With that, I'll turn it over to the ranking member, uh, Senator Menendez, for his opening remarks on arms control.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Before I turn to the topic of the hearing, I feel compelled to address the Trump administration's uh, latest actions on Iraq and Iran. This morning, I woke up to the news that the administration announced it was ordering the departure of U.S. Embassy staff from our embassy in Baghdad and our consulate in Erbil. There are only two reasons for ordering their departure. We have credible intelligence that our people are at risk or in preparation for military action in Iran. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee is charged with writing the laws that authorize the use of military force and of the oversight of the State Department and the safety of those who work there. And yet the Trump administration has not provided any information to uh, this committee on the intelligence behind their decisions or what they plan to do in Iraq or Iran. And I have repeatedly reminded the administration of its responsibilities to this committee. Mr. Chairman, I hope you'll join me in asking the administration to immediately provide this committee with a briefing on the decision to order the departure of the embassy staff, the intelligence on what Iran may be planning to do, and any plans to go to war with Iran. I would add that while a briefing for all senators is rumored for next week, that is no substitute for directly briefing the committee today when there is clearly actionable intelligence available, nor is that timeline itself acceptable. Finally, I want to make two points absolutely clear on the policy towards Iran. First, we need a diplomatic surge on Iran to meaningfully engage our allies and Iran in serious negotiations to end its pathway towards nuclear weapons and its malign activities. And second, Congress has not authorized war with Iran and the administration. And if it were contemplating military action with Iran, it must come to Congress to seek approval. I spent the better part of two decades focused on stopping Iran's quest for a nuclear weapon and attacks against our allies, including Israel. There is a right way to pursue that policy and that goal, which I believe we all share, and I know that the Chairman and I, in that respect, have common cause. And there's a wrong way to do it, a way that endangers our allies, our interests, and our people. And I am deeply concerned the administration is pursuing a policy that leads us to that wrong way. Now, let me thank you as it relates to this hearing for convening uh, this on the future of arms control policy. It seems especially appropriate to hold this hearing on a day that we are honoring Senator Richard Luger, whose civil and effective leadership of this committee is a model that we should all strive to follow in our efforts to advance U.S. interests around the world. Our country and the entire world are safer, thanks to Senator Luger, as well as his ranking Democratic colleague, Senator Sam Nunn and their collective efforts to promote sustained, tough diplomacy that led to the destruction of thousands of nuclear warheads in the former Soviet Union. Under Secretary Thompson and Deputy Undersecretary Secretary Trachtenberg, we welcome you back to the committee, but I hope you'll be more forthcoming than you were the last time you visited. In September, you testified that Russia continued to violate the INF Treaty. You provided no indication that the United States was immediately considering withdrawing from the treaty nor that there were any near-term military operational benefit for doing so. Yet, just one month later, after a campaign rally, President Trump suddenly announced, without any notice of consultation with the Senate, that the United States was unilaterally withdrawing. Unfortunately, this part of a troubling pattern of the State Department, failing to comply with fundamental legal congressional requirements. Just last month, the administration submitted an unclassified version of the annual Arms Control Reliance Report, which, quote, assesses U.S. and other na- nations' compliance to all arms control, nonproliferation, and disarmament agreement that the United States is a party to. This year's report fails to even mention a variety of critical arms agreements and was only 12 pages long in comparison to last year's report, which was 45 pages. In your submission to Congress, the Department promises to provide a longer version of the report after a declassification process has occurred. That's unacceptable. The administration has legal requirements it must fulfill. Given the lack of strategic forethought and planning apparent in the administration's hasty decision to withdraw from the INF Treaty, it's vital the U.S. government reemphasizes effective arms control as an integral part of nuclear deterrence and strategic stability. That is why I, along with Senator Reid and Senator Warner, introduced the New START Policy Act of 2019, which calls for a five-year extension of the treaty until February 2026, unless the President determines Russia is in material breach of the treaty. I was very pleased to see a similar bipartisan bill introduced in the House, co-sponsored by House Foreign Affairs Chairman Engel and his Republican counterpart, Ranking Member McCall and I'm hopeful we can forge a similar bipartisan approach to arms control here in the Senate. Extending New START would be, in my mind, an easy decision. Intelligence officials have explained how the treaty's verification regime, including short notice and on-site inspections at military bases and facilities, provide the United States with its important insight into Russia's core capabilities, including its strategic nuclear delivery systems, warheads and facilities. The commander of the United States Strategic Command, General John Hyten, testified that he was a big supporter of New START and that the treaty provides, quote, insights into the Russians' capabilities, which are hugely beneficial to him. It's very difficult to understand why the administration would discard the robust constraints, transparency, and verification measures of New START with nothing to replace them. Finally, I'm looking forward to hearing additional details on two other important issues. First, we continue to wait for the imposition of chemical weapons sanctions on Russia for the assassination intent on Sergei and Yulia Skripal in the United Kingdom. These sanctions are more than five months overdue, and I would like to know why. Second, I was pleased to hear that the Secretary raised election meddling in his recent meeting with President Putin, and I hope you provide some insights into whether the Secretary discussed the administration's new effort to bring both China and Russia into a new arms control effort. To be clear, I welcome the administration's efforts to expand the scope of arms control negotiations. However, given the challenges inherent in reaching new agreements with Russia and China, I strongly believe the limitations and verification measures of New Star must remain in place while any such negotiation occurs. And this new initiative must not serve as an excuse for suddenly withdrawing from another international agreement. If new agreements can be reached, they should add, not subtract from our existing arms control architecture. So I look forward to the witnesses' testimony in our discussion today. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you, Senator Menendez. Like you, I look forward to hearing our witnesses testify. I respectfully disagree regarding the extension, the five-year extension. Uh, I was opposed to the uh, new start when it uh, was enacted, as you will recall. I remain uh, opposed to it, and under current circumstances, I can't fathom why we would extend it another five years. With that, uh, we have uh, uh, Andrea uh, Thompson, Under Secretary for Arms Control and International Security. Ms. Thompson has been leading State Department efforts on arms control for more than a year. She previously served as Deputy Assistant to the President and National Security Advisor to the Vice President. Ms. Thompson also served more than 25 years in the United States Army and retired with the rank of Colonel. We look forward to her perspective on how the State Department's arms control efforts have progressed and what steps the administration is considering for the future. And with that, Ms. Thompson, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you very much, Chairman Risch, Senator Menendez, and distinguished members of the committee, thank you for hosting this hearing and welcoming me here today. I look forward to continuing our discussion from September when I had the honor of appearing before this committee. There have been important developments, none more so than the U.S. suspension of its obligations and six-month notice of withdrawal for the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, or INF Treaty, in response to Russia's longstanding violation. I'd like to begin by recalling a passage from the 2018 Nuclear Posture Review, which states that progress in arms control is not an end in and of itself, and depends on the security environment and the participation of willing partners. For arms control to be an effective tool, it must advance U.S., Allied, and partner security, be verifiable and enforceable, and include partners that comply responsibly with their obligations. As you know, Moscow continues to violate a series of obligations that undermine the trust the United States can place in treaties with Russia, including some that have served global security interests for years. The United States has invested six years of diplomatic effort to engage the Russians, including at the highest levels, to convince them to return to compliance with the INF Treaty. I personally have been involved in many of these engagements, including leading a U.S. interagency delegation to Geneva this past January to meet with Russian experts. In sum, since I last addressed the committee, I have met with Russian counterparts six times and more than 20 times with NATO allies and partners. I can assure you that throughout our years of efforts, we have stressed that Russia's continuing violation and failure to take concrete steps to return to compliance created an untenable situation whereby the United States complied with the INF Treaty while Russia violated it. (laughs) Our allies have been united that Russia's actions are to blame for the pending demise of the INF Treaty. If Russia fails to return to full and verifiable compliance before August 2nd, our decision to withdraw will stand, and the treaty will terminate. Russia will bear sole responsibility. Going forward, this administration will continue to work with Congress and our allies to deny Russia any military advantage from its development of ground launched intermediate-range missiles. Turning now to the New START Treaty. We are implementing the treaty and verifying Russia's compliance. The administration has not made any decision on a potential extension of New START and will continue to consult with Congress as this administration determines next steps. Central to the administration's review is whether New START extension is in the U.S. national interest and how the treaty's expiration would impact U.S. national security in the deteriorating security environment where Russia is developing new strategic offensive arms and expanding its non-strategic nuclear forces, and China is modernizing and building up its nuclear forces. China currently benefits from having the two largest nuclear powers restrained while it can pursue competition on its own terms. China's lack of transparency regarding the scope and scale of its nuclear modernization program also raises questions regarding its future intent. As President Trump and Secretary Pompeo have highlighted, China's growing capabilities, coupled with its increasingly assertive posture, pose growing threats to the United States and its allies and partners. We need a new era of arms control to address new and emerging threats that reflect modern reality. Make no mistake, we are in an era of revived great power competition. While we seek to bring Russia and China to the arms control table to deliver meaningful results, we will be relentless in our efforts to advance U.S. and allied interests, ensure our security, and deny our adversaries' advantages. Modern and effective U.S. nuclear capabilities, as called for in the NPR, are critical. As stated in the NPR's preface, ensuring our nuclear deterrent remains strong will provide the best opportunity for convincing other nuclear powers to engage in meaningful arms control initiatives. I thank you all for convening this important hearing and look forward to your
0: questions. Thank you, Ms. Thompson. We'll now turn to Mr. Trachtenberg. And Mr. Trachtenberg is deputy undersecretary of defense for policy. Having served in various roles throughout the Department of Defense, Mr. Trachtenberg has deep experience and expertise with NATO, Europe, Russia, and Eurasia nuclear forces and arms control. He is well suited to provide a comprehensive assessment of the current dynamics surrounding arms control and to share with us the actions that the Department of Defense is taking in this area. Mr. Trechtenberg, the floor is yours.
3: Chairman Risch, Ranking Member Menendez, and distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to testify on the current state of arms control. For decades, the United States has led the world in efforts to reduce the role in number of nuclear weapons. Overall, the U.S. nuclear weapons stockpile has drawn down by more than 85 percent from its Cold War high. In addition, the United States is committed to its long-held arms control, non-proliferation, and nuclear security objectives, particularly our commitment to the goals of the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. Unfortunately, Russia and China have chosen a different path and have increased the role of nuclear weapons in their strategies and actively increased the size and sophistication of their nuclear forces. For this reason, a robust and modern U.S. nuclear deterrent helps ensure that the United States can deter nuclear attack and large-scale conventional warfare between nuclear-armed states. It also allows us to negotiate from a position of strength. Arms control can contribute to U.S. security by helping to manage strategic competition among states, and we are committed to meaningful arms control that decreases the chances of misperception and miscalculation that can lead to conflict. The 2018 Nuclear Posture Review reflects the Department of Defense's strategic priority to maintain a safe, secure, survivable, and effective nuclear deterrent. The NPR also declares the U.S. commitment to arms control efforts that advance U.S. allied and partner security are verifiable and enforceable and include partners that comply responsibly with their obligations. The current security environment makes arms control extremely challenging in the near term. Any future arms control arrangement must be pursued in the context of the broader security environment which has changed significantly in the past decade. For example, Russia continues to prioritize modernizing its nuclear forces, including every leg of its strategic triad. Just this past Monday, uh, President Vladimir Putin reportedly announced that 82 percent of Russia's strategic nuclear forces have now been upgraded. And according to the Russian Defense Minister, this figure will reach 90 percent by 2020. In March 2018, Putin announced that Russia is developing even more new new nuclear weapons capabilities. Moreover, Russia is modernizing and expanding an active stockpile of approximately 2,000 non-strategic nuclear weapons that can be deployed on ships, bombers, tactical aircraft, and with ground forces. China continues its its expansive military modernization, including deploying advanced sea-based weapons, developing a new generation of road-mobile missiles, uh, improving its silo-based weapons, testing hypersonic glide vehicles, and developing a nuclear-capable next-generation bomber. These developments make arms control more complex and challenging than nearly a decade ago when the New START Treaty was signed. While we assess Russia to be in compliance with the central limits of New START, the history of Russia's arms control behavior is sobering, and I will not recount here Russia's many violations of its treaty obligations and other political commitments. It is instructive, however, that only a month after the United States and Russia reached the central limits on strategic nuclear systems prescribed by the New START Treaty, President Putin, with great fanfare, announced Russia was developing new long-range nuclear delivery systems. This is troubling, given that Russia is also modernizing its growing and increasingly capable arsenal of shorter-range non-strategic nuclear weapons, which are not covered by New START. Members of this committee will remember that Russia's non-strategic arsenal was of great concern when the New START Treaty was ratified, and it remains a concern today. With respect to the INF Treaty, as a consequence of Russia's clear violation and consistent with the sense of Congress expressed in the fiscal year 2019 National Defense Authorization Act, the United States suspended its obligations under the treaty. We also gave notice of our intent to withdraw from it. Let me be clear, it is Russia that has abandoned the treaty as a result of its violation, and our allies fully support these U.S. actions in response. Consequently, the United States is moving forward with developing conventionally armed ground-launched intermediate-range missile capabilities. What sort of system we ultimately develop will be driven by our assessment of military requirements and in consultation with Congress and with our allies and partners. Let me conclude by stating that our nuclear deterrent is the bedrock of U.S. national security and underwrites all U.S. military operations and diplomacy across the globe. It is the backstop and foundation of our national defense, enabling us to negotiate arms control agreements from a position of strength. The DOD supports pursuing a prudent arms control agenda, which could include extending the New START Treaty, provided the outcome improves the security of the United States and our allies and partners. The President wants serious arms control that delivers real security to the American people and our allies. To achieve this, we are thinking more broadly, both in terms of the countries and weapons systems involved. This may include addressing Russia's newer strategic systems not captured by New START, seeking to redress the significant imbalance in non-strategic nuclear weapons currently in Russia's favor, and encouraging China to join in efforts to increase transparency and limit its nuclear weapons ambitions. Above all, future arms control agreements must make the world more secure and include the willing participation and compliance of all parties. I thank you for the opportunity to testify and look forward to
0: your questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Trachtenberg. We're now going to do a, a round of questions, and we will start with Senator Menendez.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary Thompson, if Russia is in compliance, do you believe it is in the best interest of the U.S. to extend New start?
2: Senator, thanks for that question. Uh, I can tell you that under New Start, at present, uh, both countries are in compliance. We continue to have uh, success with the treaty. I will also tell you that we're undergoing the interagency process on next steps with New Start, and we're also engaged with our partners and allies. I just got back. I didn't, uh,
1: ask, I didn't. I'm sorry for all of that. I didn't ask you that. I asked you a simple question: If Russia is in compliance, is it in the best interest of the United States to extend New Start? Yes or no?
2: too soon to tell senator we're in an interagency inter- process i would tell you that the treaty as it stands is postured for today is the treaty as it stands postured for the safety and security of the american people for the next five to ten years that i, I can't answer today
1: well what would it need
2: pardon senator what would it
1: need to be postured for the next five or ten Th-
2: that's the discussions that we're having right now well, can senator? you give me
1: an insight as to what it is
2: I'm not going to go through our interagency process in public, Senator, but I can tell you that it's a rigorous process. We're working with the intelligence agencies. I don't don't
1: know about an interagency process. I mean, you could give insights as to the benchmarks that would be needed, and that's not an interagency process. I'm asking you as a representative of the Department of State here, what are the elements of that? And you can't give it to me. Have you had conversation with Russian officials about extending the treaty?
2: We have had discussions with uh, our Russian counterparts on the treaty.
1: Let me ask you, if New START expires, could Russia target the United States with hundreds or perhaps even thousands of additional nuclear warheads?
2: That's a good question for Russia, Senator.
1: Uh, No, it's a good question for you. You know, I disdain that the State Department has when they come here. I don't appreciate it. I'm asking for legitimate questions with answers so that I can make policy decisions. I'm not asking Russia about our national defense. I'm asking you.
2: Yes, Senator. As our staff was up here, up. Is
1: it possible that, in fact, if there is no new start, that in fact Russia could aim hundreds or thousands of new weapons? Is that possible?
2: That's a hypothetical, Senator, and I'm not going to answer that. Oh my God. That's a hypothetical. That's not it, a fair it,
1: question. It's not a hypothetical. It's what would happen if we cannot verify what they're doing. If Russia expanded its strategic nuclear forces in a post-New START environment, what would be the implications for U.S. nuclear strategy and force posture?
2: Again, Senator, if we're looking to the future here, it depends where the security situation is in the world, what our partners and allies are doing, what our our R&D efforts through the Department of Defense are doing. That's all being taken into consideration now as we look through next steps. It's always the safety and security of the American people. It's always about the readiness of our military forces. It's always the security of our partners and allies. I'm in asking those you to,
1: to help me understand. Of course, it's the safety and security of the American people. We are in common ground on all of that. That goes without saying. The question is one: How does one achieve that at the end of the day? Let me ask uh, uh, you, uh, uh, Deputy. Uh, Secretary Trachtenberg, my understanding is that China has a total nuclear arsenal of approximately 300 weapons, and the United States and Russia retain at least 6,000 nuclear weapons in their arsenal, 20 times the size of China's arsenal. Is that about right?
3: Uh, There have been a number of unclassified estimates, uh, Senator, uh, which clearly show that uh, uh, the Chinese nuclear arsenal is uh, significantly less than those of either the United States or
1: Russia. Yeah. So, uh, and my understanding is that the Department of Defense, in a recent report, stated that China has between fifty to seventy-five strategic delivery systems capable of targeting the United States. Under the New START treaty, the U.S. and Russia are limited to seven hundred deployed, and a total of eight hundred deployed and non-deployed strategic nuclear systems. Is that about right?
3: Uh, that's, uh, that, that sounds about right, Senator. The difficulty we have uh, with respect to China's arsenal is that China, among the, uh, um, among the major nuclear powers, is, uh, I would uh, say, the least
1: transparent uh, in terms of the size of its nuclear arsenal. Well, let me ask you then, if those are about right, given this current imbalance, can you explain to me under what circumstances China would be willing to slide up to a multilateral arms control regime?
3: Oh, I think it's very much in our, in our national security interest to engage with China. Uh,
1: on, I didn't ask on you that. I'm asking you, what would compel China, who's so disproportionately underrepresented in terms of its nuclear arsenal, to agree to something in which we are 20 times larger than them?
3: Uh, Senator, I can't speak to what would compel China because I, I, I can't get into the mind of the, of the Chinese leadership. Well, we have to be I- thinking,
1: if we're going to negotiate with them, what would make the, what would induce them, right?
3: Well, uh, I I can tell you, I do believe that China is, of course, modernizing and expanding its nuclear arsenal and its nuclear capabilities uh, and uh, does pose a threat to the United States. And therefore, under those conditions, it seems to me entirely legitimate and proper for us to seek to engage China uh, in this endeavor.
0: Um, Ms. Thompson, um, would you uh, agree with me that uh, in order for New START to give us the protections that we want and expect from it, that uh, Russia would have to allow uh, the kind of surveillance and the the kind of verifications that are uh, given to us under the Open Skies Treaty? Would you agree with that?
2: Senator, I, I would agree that the verification underscores every treaty we have, and if we uh, have those discussions to extend New START or have a different type of New START, the verification is the foundation of it. Yes, sir.
0: And you, I assume you're you're uh, familiar with the uh, limitations Russia's put on the, our use of the Open Skies Treaty to verify.
2: Yes, sir, very familiar with
0: that. W- would you, in the, in your position, recommend that uh, we have an extension while they continue to limit our ability to verify uh, under under open skies.
2: So yes, that that's been one of the uh, one of the points we have raised within our process, Senator. On when you look at all the other treaties, whether it's CFE, INF, the list that uh, that you reviewed in the opening remarks, that Russia is in violation of those treaties. That, that is always at the uh, uh, at the table when we have discussions with my Russian counterparts. Big
0: problem. It is, sir. Yeah, and and especially if you're talking about giving them a. a gratuitous five-year extension when they're not allowing us to verify that uh, uh, the things we need to verify on a New START. Fair statement?
2: Fair statement, Senator.
0: Thank you. Senator Romney, you're up.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, let me just note at the outset that I agree with the ranking member about the need for a classified briefing on the matters in, in Iraq and hope that either the entire committee or perhaps just the chair and the ranking member would be uh, able to have that kind of briefing.
0: Uh, thank you, Senator Romney. Uh, we've, uh, the, the, the chair has had that kind of briefing, uh, and in the works is a uh, full uh, briefing of the entire United States Senate, because this is a, a, a very critical issue. There's no question about that.
4: Thank you. That gives me a, a, a heartened feeling. Thank you. I <laughs> uh, want let, you to be heartened. Yes, sir. thank you. Thank you. Uh, it, it, of course, our objective, and we speak about this um, regularly, is to see a world without nukes. Uh, But unfortunately, what seems to be occurring is a buildup of of nuclear capacity, a proliferation of nuclear uh, weapons. Uh, China seeks, based on my reading – I didn't mean China, I meant Russia – seeks not a balanced uh, nuclear capacity uh, to deter uh, action, but instead superiority. Uh, You indicated that uh, as much as uh, 90 percent of their triad will be modernized uh, by 2021 – Um, Do you have any sense of what our, or can you give us an estimate of what percentage of our nuclear triad has been modernized uh, and is in a modern modern state at this stage?
3: Uh, Sure, Senator Romney. I would say very little uh, of our triad uh, has has currently been modernized. We have a, a, a modernization program. Uh, which, uh, if uh, if funded, uh, would allow us to modernize all three of the legs, so-called legs of our strategic triad, the ICBMs, the uh, sub-launched ballistic missiles, as well as the bombers. Uh, we have, uh, in essence, skipped a generation when it comes to modernization. The last two cycles of our strategic modernization program took place in the 1980s and before that in the 1960s, and so we are well behind where I believe we should be in terms of the modernization of our own strategic systems, which which uh, I would assert is essential uh, to maintain uh, our our nuclear deterrent,
4: I, I uh, I'm distressed to hear that, and and uh, recall that at a time when I was uh, one of the vocal opponents of the New Start treaty, uh, those that were in favor of it uh, said, uh, you have to understand uh, that uh, we're going to be modernizing our. Our, our triad, uh, this, uh, this deal we're doing on New START is associated with this modernization effort, and we still have not funded that. And, and as a result, we have a, a nuclear deterrent which is in inferior capacity with regards to its modernization than that of a, a potential foe. Um, another area that concerned me during the time that New START was being negotiated was the fact that, that uh, the, Russia had a very dramatic um, uh, lead in terms of uh, non-strategic nukes. And uh, and I made the point that we had a lead on strategic. We had 2,500 strategic uh, nuclear weapons. They had 1,500. We agreed to make 1,500 the new limit. So we cut out 1,000 of ours, and they didn't change a thing. And the argument was made, well, we'll we'll move on to the non-strategic next. Have we moved on to the non-strategic weapons? Have we been able to limit their their uh, uh, their stockpile of non-strategic nuclear weapons?
3: Uh, we have not, Senator. Uh, despite our efforts to engage the Russians on uh, <laughs> discussions with respect to their non-strategic nuclear forces, they have been unwilling to uh, discuss that. I would say, uh, yeah, if, if I might, uh, while we did reduce, you are absolutely correct, we did reduce uh, to meet the New, the new START levels, uh, the Russians did uh, take an action uh, as well. Uh, the action they took uh, was they built up their levels of nuclear forces in order to meet uh, the limits of the New START treaty. When New START was, uh, was signed, uh, they were below the limits, we were above the limits, uh, and therefore uh, this was a treaty that required us to reduce while uh, simultaneously it allowed the Russians to increase
4: you <laughs> Yeah, I, one one more reason that I was uh, very, very uh, uh, opposed to the uh, agreement as it was negotiated. Uh, one one more uh, matter in, in that regard that uh, just uh, wanted to raise a question, and that is uh, the concern about bombers and, uh, uh, and the, as I understand it, the classification of bombers was that if a bomber had, let's say, 10 nuclear warheads on it, it still only counted as one uh, nuclear warhead, which uh, was a strange uh, element, at least in my view at that time, Uh, Am I remembering that correctly? And has Russia taken advantage of this loophole in the New START treaty to, uh, uh, to, to arm their bombers with substantially more than one nuclear warhead?
2: Senator, you're correct in the math. They are in compliance with New START, but you raise a great point not only with the count, but as uh, the the chairman raised in his his opening remarks, that the equipment has evolved, and we have hypersonic glide vehicles, a series of of the five systems that uh, that, that, uh, Secretary Krakenberg raised that will not fall into the treaty. At this point, and that's why the president's been clear as, as a secretary, about the need to modernize our discussions and have these discussions with our Russian counterparts to include the systems that we that we have, and more importantly, the systems that will be fielded shortly.
4: Thank you. It, it is my hope that as we uh, negotiate uh, towards uh, a, a nuclear agreement with uh, with Russia and potentially with uh, with China as well, uh, that it is fully uh, encompassing uh, of uh, of new technologies as well as technologies that might be developed in the future. And, uh, uh, and that we are uh, not in a setting where, once again, we are um, agreeing to major reductions at our capacity and allowing uh, potential opponents to have major increases in their capacity. Uh, and um, I am, uh, I'd also note that I think it's a high priority uh, for this body to make the substantial investment that was promised in our, in our triad uh, our land-based, our, land um, our ground-based uh, uh, nuclear deterrent is uh, very, very old. It's decades old and needs needs to be completely updated and hope that we will get about that uh, at a very short order. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Well, thank you, Senator Romney. Nine years ago uh, uh, at this table, uh, Senator Kerry was sitting in this chair and Senator Luger was sitting in this chair. I was sitting down there somewhere and we had these, uh, uh, these discussions uh, uh, regarding Uh, the new start, and a number of us were adamantly opposed for a lot of the reasons that you've suggested. And one of them was, uh, that was incredibly important to us was modernization, and we were promised. uh, They didn't have enough votes to get over the hump, so they promised these uh, modernization uh, uh, efforts and it's been a, uh, a real disaster in that regard. We just haven't followed through on it. And uh, it's, it's very unfortunate. One of the many reasons why I oppose a, uh, a, five, a gratuitous five-year extension, uh, given where we are. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Senator Murphy.
5: Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I share um, the ranking member's grave concern about the announcement this morning regarding uh, the withdrawal of non-emergency personnel from Iraq. It's a vague announcement. This could be consular services. It could be all non-military personnel. We have no idea about the details. Um, Ms. Thompson, uh, can you share any details with us this morning about exactly what personnel are being withdrawn from Baghdad and other parts of Iraq?
2: Senator, I don't oversee diplomatic security, but I assure you the team will take the questions back for our leadership.
5: Um, Ms. Thompson, um, I want to talk to you about Iran for a moment. Um, I just want to confirm what the purpose of our pressure campaign is. Many of us feel that it's been ham handed without uh, a well defined end game, but uh, I assume that the purpose of this maximum pressure campaign is in the end to compel the Iranians back to the negotiating table to enter into a new negotiation over a set of U.S. objectives. Is that the purpose of this campaign?
2: That's an element of that campaign, yes, Senator.
5: Um, What do you mean that it's an element
2: it's the, the strategy. Is, is has more details than that. I mean, that is one portion of it. It's also to prevent the continued expansion of the malign activity through the region and, and the list that the secretary has been forthcoming with with the twelve items. So that is certainly an element of it.
5: Um, but we don't imagine that they are going to fulfill those twelve objectives on their own. This there will have to be a negotiation with the Iranians over uh, our desire to have them uh, fulfill those. 12 U.S. stated goals.
2: That's correct. The secretary has stated he prefers a diplomatic solution to that.
5: And so this set of goals that the secretary has laid out, which um, calls on the Iranians to Stop enrichment, never pursue plutonium processing and their ballistic missile program, release all prisoners and support for Hezbollah, Hamas and Islamic Jihad and support for the Houthis, withdraw forces from Syria and support for the Taliban and the IRGC support for militant terrorist groups and stop threatening behavior. Um, That list remains our bottom line. That is what we expect the Iranians to produce uh, either on their own unilaterally or through a negotiated process
2: that's correct senator
5: um let me ask uh, another question of you mr trachtenberg let me try to ask the same question that senator menendez asked um a a negotiation requires two willing parties right nobody enters into negotiation if they're told at the outset they're going to get nothing from it and so let me ask the same question that he asked regarding why china would enter into a negotiation with the united states and perhaps with russia when today, reportedly, China has 300 warheads, and between the United States and uh, Russia, we have thousands. I'm not asking you to sort of lay out what our concessions would be, but give us an idea that you have some plan as to make the case to China that there would be a benefit to them uh, to limit their nuclear capability, what general area of concessions might we offer them?
3: Well, Senator, uh, I, I appreciate your question. We are at the beginning of a process right now. Uh, and I would say China has envisioned itself as uh, as uh, a major power on the world stage. Uh, China has uh, been flexing its military muscle. China has been undertaking a number of actions in, in order to garner respect and attention Uh, as a major player. Now, if China wishes to be treated as a major player, then uh, China should accept the responsibilities of a major power in the world today, and that includes uh, engaging uh, with respect to its nuclear arsenal and its nuclear capabilities. Uh, So uh, while we are at the start of this process, uh, I believe that it is entirely legitimate for us to seek ways to engage the Chinese Uh, such that they understand if they are going to be a player, uh, a responsible player on the world stage, that they should address these issues in a responsible manner.
5: So I I ask these questions because it appears to me as if the preconditions for negotiations with Iran and what seems to me a very ill-thought-out strategy for engaging China is just an excuse to get no agreement if you set up a list of requirements for negotiations with Iran that are wholly and completely unrealistic, if you believe that the Chinese should negotiate with us just because they are a great power, you are setting up the negotiations for failure. In fact, you're setting up the inevitability that the negotiations will never begin, Um, And so that's what I think you hear as a worry from many members of this committee, that while we would love for Iran to give up their support for Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, um, we would love for them to abandon their ballistic missile program. I would love for the Chinese just to decide that because they are a great power uh, that they should start negotiations with us. Um, When it comes to arms control, uh, hope is not a strategy. Uh, and I worry in the end that these are just all excuses for why we are never going to enter into a meaningful dialogue with either that 's why to many of us, um, this seems like escalation with no end game. but I appreciate your candor before the committee. Thank you uh, very much, Senator Murphy Senator Paul.
6: I agree with Senator Murphy I mean you want a ballistic missile deal with Iran, we got rid of the nuclear deal, which took years and years of pressure with international sanctions, we got a nuclear deal, and you say you want a ballistic missile deal. Well, they're not gonna do a ballistic missile deal with you ever, as long as Saudi Arabia is spending like eight times as much as they do and the Gulf sheikdom surrounding them, it's a complete non-starter. So if that's our goal, it's sort of like saying we're no longer going to have any kind of diplomatic solution with Iran. With regard to Iran, Mr. Trachtenberg, do you believe the President has the authority to wage war with Iran without congressional authorization?
3: Uh, I believe that uh, every nation has the right to self-defense and that if attacked, the United States has the ability. That's not
6: the question. The question isn't on defending against an attack of sailors on a boat or people in an embassy. I think we all agree with that. We're talking about war. Let's say they attack one of our boats in there and we defend ourselves. We all agree we should defend ourselves. Can the president continue to a full-scale war with 120,000 troops? Uh, can we have a full-scale waging of war with Iran without
3: congressional authorization? Only the Congress has the responsibility to declare war, has the authority to declare war.
6: Right. So the answer is the president can't do it, and that would be the explicit answer I would hope we would get from the policy person at the State Department. Ms. Thompson, um, the Aegis Ashore, is it essentially run by the same system as the Aegis Afloat?
2: So it actually deferred the particulars with the Aegis since it is a military piece of equipment to my DoD counterpart. I can tell you that we've had discussions on uh, the Aegis system with my Russian counterparts, but the ins and outs of the Aegis really isn't my Are they essentially
6: run by the same system? I believe
3: uh, uh, the essential components are similar.
6: Okay. So this is also what Lockheed Martin says. They make it, and they say it's essentially the same system. We have also uh, folks at the... I think it's the U.S.... uh, 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 U.S. Naval Institute saying that uh, basically aegis ashore could be easily turned into the offensive cruise missile system. And so I guess my problem is, is if you really are serious about talking to Russia, it isn't that we have to accept that they're telling the truth or that uh, we agree with their points. But, Ms. Thompson, when you say that their response, that we're in violation, is laughable and the world sees it as a fraud, it sounds to me like you're not really interested in negotiating with the Russians. Because I think it's a debatable point. It's an arguable point. It has technical details. That's what nuclear arms negotiators and real diplomats are supposed to be discussing. So if it's essentially the same system and it got converted to a system of offense and we could launch cruise missiles from it, it sounds like the Russians have a point. And it sounds like it's at least a debatable point that we should be discussing before we say, oh, well, it's all the Russian side. That's not what diplomacy is about. Diplomacy is about figuring about what the other side is saying and not just saying they're a bunch of crazy, laughable people and we can't talk to them. That's the recipe for no diplomacy. And I think that's what you've set up in Iran, but it's also what you're setting up in Russia, is that we're not even willing to discuss whether the Aegis ashore is similar to Aegis afloat and whether they have an argument or not. I would think that's where we'd set down te- technical people at a table and have a discussion.
2: We have, may, is that a question? May I respond to
6: that, Senator? Well, I mean, the question is, well, you, you say it's laughable. Is that something a diplomat should be saying about something that is the main point Russia's bringing up? I'm not saying we accept it. I'm not saying it's true. But if that's their main complaint about us and our main complaint is SSC-8, we would hear each other's complaints, but we wouldn't say to the other side, and we wouldn't say in public that their argument is laughable if we wanted to come to an agreement.
2: I, I can tell you, Senator, in my six engagements with my Russian counterpart since September, uh, I have said that there's a professional discussion. I said that about the Deputy Foreign Minister, Sergei Grabkov, who I've met multiple times. We've met uh, and had candid discussions. We've had technical experts meet. Uh, we just had uh, the BCC, and, and we've given readouts on that up about two and a half weeks ago up to the Hill, Uh, where we have had the discussions and they have raised the intelligence and we have countered that intelligence with our technical experts. My
6: my advice to you is I wouldn't say in public that your adversary's response is laughable. That really goes a long way towards setting back any kind of possible diplomatic solution. And this is important. We're talking about, you know, whether or not the world could be destroyed by nuclear weapons, whether we should limit the amount of nuclear weapons. When we say our adversary is laughable, you do a great injustice to the idea of diplomacy. So I hope you'll reconsider uh, things you say in
0: public.
7: Senator Sheehan. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think it's a fitting that this committee today is holding a hearing on arms control when we are also celebrating our friend and colleague, Senator Luger, whose leadership was such a critical step toward limiting nuclear arsenals. And well, you know, one of the things that I think it's important to remember is that one of the benefits of um, the New START Treaty is that it provided a mechanism for us to continue to communicate with Russia and to understand what their capabilities are and for them to understand our capabilities and that that's important as we think about the potential to misread um, or misunderstand the messages that one nuclear power is sending to another. Um, But I want to begin, actually, by sharing the concerns that have already been expressed about the failure to brief this committee and Congress about what's happening with Iran and the decision to withdraw all non-essential personnel from Iraq. And while I appreciate that um, the chair of this committee and probably the chair of other committees have been briefed, I think it's important and a critical enough issue, given the potential threat of war, that everybody on this committee and everybody in Congress should be briefed about that. Because I agree with you, um, Mr. Trachtenberg, I think Congress does have the authority to determine whether we go to war or not. Um, so let me ask you, Under Secretary Thompson, have you been briefed by the State Department or the administration on the decision to withdraw our personnel from Iraq? I'm not asking you what that briefing contained. I'm asking you, have you been briefed? As
2: it doesn't pertain to my portfolio at the State Department, no, ma'am, I have not.
7: Um, well, okay. Have you been briefed, Mr. Trachtenberg? Uh,
3: no, ma'am, I have not.
7: Do you have any idea who has been briefed on this decision um, under Secretary Thompson?
2: It would be speculation. I know the process, we've had it in other uh, posts where our diplomatic security professionals brief the secretary, provide them with the intelligence and they make the call. Again, I, with overseeing arms control, foreign military sales and nonproliferation proliferation my portfolio doesn't include the diplomatic security, but I know that the process involves uh, intelligence information presented to the secretary, ma'am.
7: Thank you. So can you tell me, under Secretary Thompson, Under this administration, is it still part of U.S. strategy not only to limit nuclear arsenals in the world, but also to ensure that there is never a mistake that results in a catastrophic response and error?
2: Yes, ma'am. This is a zero defects part of my portfolio and engaging with partners and allies, sharing best practices on lessons learned so we ensure every nuclear power has that same safety and security and where others don't to encourage them to do so. Yes, ma'am.
7: So I understood in your testimony that you raised, um, first you acknowledged that Russia is complying with the New START Treaty, but then you raised some concerns about um, other nuclear armed systems that they're developing. Is that, did I understand that accurately?
2: Yes, ma'am. The five systems that President Putin alluded to in his uh, 2018 statement.
7: So under the New START Treaty, if the United States wanted to, we could also develop those systems could we not and still be in compliance
2: I defer to DOD but we have not done the R&D efforts because we have remained in compliance with all of our treaties ma'am
7: well I'm still trying to figure out you're saying that Russia is in compliance and we're in compliance so if Russia is doing this development and they're in compliance then we could do the same development and still be in compliance is that not true Mr. Trachtenberg
3: uh, uh the- theoretically uh we could do any any number of things Senator, but uh, we certainly have no intention of doing the kinds of things that uh, uh, President Putin has announced that the Russians are going forward with uh, and in terms of compliance uh, uh we-, we have assessed that some of those new systems uh would fall uh, under the uh under the category of accountability right.
7: right, but we're not at the point at which those systems have been developed in a way that would require they fall under that's, that.
3: That's correct, sir. So I'm
7: just pointing out that for those people who say that New Start prohibits us from doing the kind of R and D that we think we need to do to defend this country, that in fact it does not. Uh, that's I, a statement. That's not a question. Okay. Um, but but I do have a question about how much information the United States receives from Russia through data exchanges, through on-site inspections, and what that benefit is to our understanding of what Russia is doing. Um, Mr. Trachtenberg, can you speak to that?
3: Uh, I, I, uh, I can tell you that uh, the uh, verification procedures have been uh, have been useful. Uh, I, I would defer to uh, Under Secretary Thompson for specific details
7: on that. Good. Would you like to respond?
2: Yeah, yes, ma'am. They, uh, they are in compliance. We do get access. Uh, because of the nature of, of the access, we do get insight into their systems, and they, in turn, get access into ours. Yes, ma'am.
7: So if New START were to lapse... How would the Pentagon and the intelligence community replace the information that we're getting from from the New START? verification agreement?
3: Uh, I think that would be subject to negotiation, Senator. Obviously, in terms of our f- approach to future uh, negotiations uh, with Russia and potentially China as well, uh, we would obviously look for any agreement to contain verification and compliance measures in there, or, or measures that uh, where we could uh, be reasonably certain the parties uh, would be willing to comply and would, in fact, comply. So uh, that, that would be part and parcel, I believe, of any future negotiation.
7: Well, that makes sense to me, but if that's if we decide we're going to renegotiate the New START Treaty. But based on the testimony and the questioning, it sounds like there are real questions about whether the administration has made that decision. And given that, and given the fact that if that happens, the treaty lapses, we no longer have that verification program, how do we then replace the information that we're getting under that verification program?
3: Well, Senator, I would say again that uh, the decision has not been made in t- in terms of uh, the approach to new start, whether it should be extended or should not be extended, if if extended, for how long it should be extended or or what to do if it if, if it is not extended. This is part of an inter- an ongoing interagency discussion that we are having with our state department colleagues and and others in terms of trying to figure out. as as I said in my opening statement, sort of the broader strategic context in which we need to look at arms control going forward to incorporate uh, concerns over uh, a number of factors, uh, not just strategic weapons, but non-strategic weapons as
0: well.
7: Um, Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, I appreciate your letting me go over my time. Um,
0: Thank thank you, Senator Sheen. Those are really important points that you're making, and as with all these treaties, like I said at the outset, good faith is absolutely critical, and uh, one of the things also that uh, we all know is verifications essential. Without verification, you don't have anything. And with their violation of the uh, of the Open Skies Treaty. It causes real problems as far as our ability to, uh, to to verify. So those two are are interrelated. The the new start just doesn't stand by itself. You got to have the you got to have the good faith. And but those are good. I mean, those are good points that you raised regarding verification. Absolutely critical,
8: Senator Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Trachtenberg. I want I want to drill down. I really want to get specific about what we mean by modernization and where we're at a disadvantage to Russia currently in in their modernization. So specifically. What do we mean by modernization? What, what haven't we modernized? What have they?
3: Uh, Senator, what we're talking about is uh, essentially uh, upgrading and replacing the existing generation of land-based missiles uh, with a ground-based strategic deterrent, as it's called, uh, and uh, r- developing a, a new uh, strategic bomber uh, as well as uh, the Columbia-class uh, strategic submarine, ballistic missile firing submarine. So uh, it would be taking those existing systems, which have been actually in place Literally for decades, and that have had their life extended uh, already in some cases uh, several times, well beyond the or their original life expectancy, uh, and moving forward and uh, replacing them with uh, with more
8: modern uh, with more modern systems. So it's really the delivery system that is primarily what's in need of upgrade.
3: Uh, absolutely, absolutely, Senator. The, uh, our nuclear capabilities are based on several things. It's not just the nuclear weapons themselves, but it is the delivery systems that carry those weapons.
8: So, so are, are, is Russia more advanced in terms of their missile technology? Are they more advanced in their submarine technology? Are they more advanced in their uh, bomber technology?
3: Well, I think it is clear that uh, Russia has uh, invested in developing more systems and more types of systems, uh, ICBMs, uh, stationary, silo-based, mobile, uh, uh, SSBNs, uh, new uh, strategic uh, ballistic missile submarines, uh, and uh, basically uh, all, all of the three legs of its strategic triad uh, they have they have gone forward with a, a rather aggressive modernization program
8: to date. What, what about the nuclear uh, warhead itself? When Senator Kyle was here, he would I'm not in armed services, so I would attend uh, regularly his meetings uh, on modernization. Uh, what about the the warhead itself and our ability to make sure that that is modern and will be capable?
3: Well, Russia continues to uh, develop and produce uh, new nuclear weapons. Uh, I believe the, the United States is the is the only country of the five major nuclear powers uh, that has not uh, produced a new nuclear weapon in, in quite some time. So we rely on our existing stockpile of weapons,
8: which need to be certified as reliable and safe on an, on an annual basis. And how, how well are we keeping up with that? Uh, one of the things I learned with uh, Senator Kyle's meetings is when you 're not building new weapons you 're kind of losing the ability to even theoretically determine how how uh, good your current weapons are.
3: Well, it is true, Senator, that our weapons are aging much as the delivery platforms uh, have have been aging uh, uh, but uh, i would uh, uh, I would respectfully defer to the Department of Energy's National Nuclear Security Administration, the NNSA, that is responsible for our stockpile program uh, and for assessments as to the continued reliability and safety and efficacy of the existing
8: stockpile. So it's been my understanding in, in Congress that, certainly even under the Obama administration, they were appropriating funds for modernization is that simply not the case i mean wh- why weren't those funds used to modernize
3: no those funds those funds were appropriated the obama administration did support the nuclear modernization program uh, the difficulty is that uh, the, the modernization process itself takes a significant amount of time. Uh, we're talking about many years, uh, perhaps in some cases decades, to actually fulfill and complete the current modernization program of record. So there is a long tail uh, to that funding, uh, which is why uh, we, we very strongly believe uh, and hope that the Congress will continue to provide the resources necessary in order for us to take the actions we need to take to see the modernization program to completion. So, so,
8: what do we spend the money on? What did we modernize? What what, what do we get out of the money we spent?
3: Uh, we have upgraded uh, some of the. Uh, uh, my understanding is we have upgraded some of the guidance control systems and in, in in some of the systems uh, that that we currently have. Uh, but again, the delivery platforms themselves. There's only so much life extension uh, that you can invest in to keep them reliably operational. And and that is the difficulty that we are currently facing.
8: Do we still have vacuum tubes in some of these control systems? that I don't know, Senator. I'd have to take that one for the
3: record, but, but it is clear that, that because of the age of these systems, we, uh, I, I would reiterate that we are in, uh, uh, I think, uh, a critical need of moving forward and moving forward uh, deliberately and robustly uh, with the full scope of the modernization effort.
8: Well, consider that a question for the record. I do want some details in terms of where we are, where we're lacking in terms of a modernization program. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you. Uh, Senator Johnson, those are are, uh, all good points that you've made. So the American people that are watching, let there be no mistake, the United States of America is in a position to be able to defend itself. We do have uh, aging infrastructure in our nuclear arsenal. But having said that, a trip through the labs in New Mexico would be very uh, enlightening for you and it would leave you with no question that uh, uh, that anyone who's uh, thinking that we can't uh, take appropriate actions to defend ourselves is making a really, really bad mistake. So with that, Senator, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thanks to the witnesses. I want to ask... Uh,
9: about an important issue in the future of arms control, and that's Part 810 authorizations. My staff to reach out to each of your staffs two days ago to tell you I was going to ask about this, so hopefully you'll be prepared to answer my questions. I'm a member of the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committees. A Part 810 authorization, as you know, is a legally mandated approval that the Department of Energy must give to an American company that wants to transfer nuclear know-how to a foreign country The DOE is required to get the concurrence of the Department of State prior to such transfers, and they're also required to consult with the Department of Defense before such transfers. On March 28th, we had a hearing in the Armed Services Committee where I asked Secretary of Energy Perry to provide me information about Part 810 transfers that the United States has done during the Trump administration, not proprietary information, but the dates of transfers, the companies who were given permission to transfer and the countries to whom they were transferring. In the hearing, he committed to do that. That was 48 days ago. I submitted a question for the record on April 2nd, 43 days ago. Thus far, the Department of Energy has refused to provide any information in response. On April 10, Mr. Chair, we had a hearing with Secretary Pompeo. He and I talked about it uh, at the hearing. I pointed out that the State Department is required to concur in such transfers. And I asked Secretary Pompeo the same question about when did the the State Department concur in the transfers? Did the State Department agree that the transfers should be held secret and private contrary to early practice? He committed in the hearing to get me an answer on the Saudi Arabian transfers. At the close of the hearing, Mr. Chair, you directed the witnesses to answer questions submitted by the record. So the following day, April 11, 34 days ago, I submitted questions for the record to the Department of State, asking them to answer the questions that I had directed to Secretary Pompeo during the hearing of this committee. And thus far, I've received no answer from the Department of State either to my oral questions to Secretary Pompeo or in response to my questions for the record. So I want to start with Secretary Thompson. Uh, this is very important for arms control. The reason there's a Part 810 process is you would not want to allow unlimited transfers of nuclear now, how to other nations that might be used to, prol- to proliferate nuclear arms. And that's why the legal requirement is the Department of State has to concur and there has to be consultation with the Department of Defense and other, and, and, and other stakeholders. Can you give me the dates that the Department of State concurred in transfers of nuclear technology to Saudi Arabia pursuant to the Part 810 requirement?
2: I don't have those dates available, but I'll take that back to get the answer for you, Senator.
9: Well, we reached out two days ago to say I was going to ask exactly this question, which I asked of the Department of State on April 10th in a hearing and on April 11th in a letter. And the chair of the committee directed the secretary to answer my question. So when we reached out two days ago and asked you to prepare, did you not do anything? Did you ask whether you were allowed to share that information to me? Or are you now just telling me what everybody's telling me, that they'll get back to me in the infinite futures?
2: No, sir, I'm well aware what the A-10 process is with our Department of Energy counterparts. I know that we concurred. I did not receive the information that you were going to ask which dates we concurred. So I owe you that. Is answer. your
9: Is your office involved in the Part A-10 process?
2: It is, it is Senator. Were you, the the,
9: was your the office,
2: ISN, my assistant secretary, is part of that concurrence process. So
9: your office would have been involved in the concurrences that I'm asking about? Yes, sir. The Department of Energy has testified mm-hmm. under record that there have been seven concurrences of transfers to Saudi Arabia. Were you not aware that I had posed this question to the Department of State in writing 35 days ago?
2: I, I did, Senator. I didn't get the feedback that you needed, the dates. Well, I will get you the dates. I, I, will, I will confirm that those dates with you. It is important also, as you know, and I, I don't want to use up your time, that it's important to get U.S. companies in the door. And that's a process, the first step in that data and exchange. And if that- we're not there, the Chinese are. I'll get to you're, that answer. You're later. making
9: a, a good editorial argument. I'm not arguing with yep. the program. I'm yep. just yep. arguing
2: yes, why would you keep it secret? It, it's not. E- early.
9: It, Earlier it, administrations have made this information public to the press, to Congress, to, to reporters. Reuters had to break the story that you had done these secretly and refused to give information to the press. Mr. Chair, could I ask you? Sometimes we're hearing from agencies that they need not respond unless the question, unless the request is from the chairman. Could you ask them to answer my question and give me the dates on which the State Department concurred in the 7 Part 810 authorizations to Saudi Arabia?
2: Yeah. I'll get you to the date, Senator. And if I may, to my knowledge, it is it is not secret. There is a process to request that information through DOE, but I'll get you the date, Senator.
9: Well, is the, does the process include a member of the Senate asking the Secretary of Energy 48 days ago, please give me this information? I mean, would you consider that a a fair process?
2: I would would, uh, assess it that I will get you the answer, Senator.
9: Do you have any knowledge as to why the State Department has not yet responded to my request, which is now 35 days old? It's seven transfers, seven dates, lists of companies, and they're and they're all about Saudi Arabia. I'm not asking for any proprietary information. Do you know why I have not received a response to this date,
2: sir? I'll get I'll get you the answer. I can assure you, it's somewhere in that in a stack, and we'll get we'll get when,
9: it. When will it's, you it's get one of When will you get me the answer?
2: It, it's not my answer to get. It's me for me to coordinate. As soon as I get back, and we'll find out where it is in the process through our ledge affairs.
0: I'll get you the answer, sir. Kane, let me help you out. I talk regularly with Senator Pompeo, and have over these 48 days on numerous occasions. I haven't talked to him about your question on the A ten process. I commit to you in my next conversation with him that will be on the list. Thank you so much for sure. Thank you, witnesses. You're entitled to that information. Uh, Senator Brasso, uh, thank you very much,
10: Mr. Chairman. Welcome back to the committee. It was eight months ago when we were here talking, and the questions I had to you specifically had to do with Russia weaponry, and said so my concern is. Uh, not will they or won't they, but can they or can't they in terms of capacity and capability. So kind of following up, uh, the question I started then I'm going to start with again today. In March of 2018, President Putin announced Russia was developing several new nuclear delivery vehicles that could evade or penetrate U.S. ballistic missile defenses. Uh, one of the new weapons mentioned by President Putin at the time was a large multiple-warhead intercontinental ballistic missile called the Sarmat. Uh, The others include a long-range nuclear-powered cruise missile, a long-range nuclear-armed underwater drone, and an air-delivery hypersonic cruise missile. Uh, Under Article 5 of the New START, parties can raise their concerns about new types of strategic offensive weapons under the Bilateral uh, Consultative uh, Commission. So, would these weapons be covered under the New START?
2: Thanks, Senator. Uh, good to see you again. So two of the systems will, the avant-garde and Sarmat, would be uh, considered as, as existing types. We have raised that with our Russian counterparts uh, in discussions uh, in the technical experts in our level. And the other three systems would be considered basically new, new kinds, and we will have that discussion. We've raised that as well, and we'll continue to raise it in our engagement with the Russian senator.
10: So along those lines, how would these new weapons be counted under New, new, new START in terms of multiple warheads, all of the different components of that?
2: It, it is early in the process with the two systems uh, if they continue on the glide path of their development. But the technical experts are sitting down and laying that out. The other three that will be part of the discussions. But the the other takeaway I take as the undersecretary overseeing this is new start as it stands again was relevant for its time and the systems that we have, technology has evolved at such an incredible rate that many of our arms control treaties are no longer relevant. So it's incumbent upon us, you heard it from the president, you heard it uh, yesterday, uh, with President Putin and Secretary Pompeo. We're going to have these discussions. We must have these discussions uh, to ensure that we uphold our arms control responsibilities and adapt to make sure we have the safety and security for the American people. And it's, it's a challenge I'm up to. Thanks, Senator. Yeah, well,
10: uh, uh, because the question is, you know, how the inclusion of these weapons, how critical that would be in our decision on whether to extend New START.
2: Absolutely, the systems that they have now and the systems that they think they will have needs to be integrated. Is being integrated with those interagency discussions. We rely on our DoD counterparts, on our DOE counterparts, the NSC, and the intel agencies. And and I can assure you that I've, I've. uh, that schedule is rigorous and robust.
10: Okay. So maybe turning over the Deputy Undersecretary uh, Trachtenberg, in terms of President Putin declaring that these new additions to the Russia's strategic nuclear arsenal would render, I think he said, U.S. missile defense in his words, useless, um, what is our government's assessment of the level of the maturity and accuracy of these weapons, if you can give this under these settings, and if we have to go to a secure setting, we can have that discussion uh, I, separately. I,
3: I, I would prefer to address that uh, in, in a closed session, uh, Senator Barrasso. You, ra- you do raise a, a very substantial and important point here in terms of the capabilities that the Russians say they are developing uh, and, and the capabilities that they can develop, and whether if and how they would be accounted for uh, under existing arms control agreements. Uh, so. It, 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 you're absolutely right, which is why uh, I, uh, I noted earlier that it is, uh, uh, we believe it is important in looking at how we approach arms control going forward that we look at the totality of uh, national security concerns and issues that are being raised uh, by uh, what, uh, uh, in particular by what Russia is doing, and factor that into our, our interagency discussions on what is the best course of action for the United States.
10: So in a, in a follow-up to this, I don't know, Mr. Chairman, you may want to think about a closed session so we can get to these specific answers, because I, I want to know what the United States has in terms of a current or prospective missile defense system that could intercept these weapons, and you may be in the same situation of not wanting to discuss it in, in an open setting.
3: Uh, yes, yes, sir.
10: And, and if, if – in terms of what specific actions we as a government can take or are ter- taking to respond to and to counter these new strategic nuclear weapons that Vladimir Putin continues to, to brag
3: about. I, I, I agree with you, Senator, and, and and that's why I think it is critically important that we uh, roll those into the discussions that we are having uh, in, 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 within the interagency to figure out what is the best approach to guarantee uh, our security and the security of our allies going forward in an arms control context.
10: Secretary? Senator Thompson, anything you'd like to add to that?
2: I, I fully support the efforts uh, of, of what we're going through the interagency, and I agree it should be in a classified setting. I wouldn't want our, our adversaries to know what we have and what we don't have, Senator.
0: Great.
10: Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you, Senator. You raised some good points. And the FYI, the uh, Senate uh, National Security Working Group explored that uh, exact area at some time in the not-too-distant past. and. Uh, it's, uh, it's important that people have this information. It's, it's there, but it has to be in a classified setting. So.
10: Thank you,
11: Mr.
0: Chairman. Yeah. Senator Markey.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. Uh, Ms. Thompson, the Trump administration recently expressed interest in engaging China on nuclear arms control. But I'm concerned about the Trump administration's approach in that particular case. The administration seems to believe the best way to engage China on nuclear arms control is to push it to join a multilateral agreement with two countries whose nuclear arsenals are of an order of magnitude larger than its own, meaning the United States and Russia, just 10 times larger, 20 times larger than anything that China has right now. So I want to talk about that further. The Chinese foreign minister stated that Beijing will not participate in three-way nuclear talks with the U.S. and Russia, so why does the Trump administration think that it's a viable path forward?
2: Thank you, Senator. And if I could just build upon uh, the points that uh, Secretary Trachtenberg raised earlier in, uh, with the importance of having that dialogue with China. Um, I've had dialogues with my Chinese counterparts. I was in Beijing the end of January, the beginning of February, uh, just met a couple weeks ago. Uh, Don't hold me to the date. I need to pull my calendar Uh, up in New York with my Chinese counterpart. We're having that discussion. You know, they want to be a responsible player on the world stage. They want to be part of this uh, great power competition. And with that comes uh, responsibilities. Uh, So we have to have that discussion. The important piece is we may not get there, but we may but we have to have a dialogue. I raised uh, with my counterpart to have a working group, a strategic working group, on um, some things that we might be able to agree upon. They, they have declined at that juncture.
11: So would you, would you would you be adverse if that just comes to an end, that China will not accept... Um, that it is going to engage in those kind of talks. Would you um, would you object then to extending New START and separately engaging China on nuclear arms control?
2: We were just at the first step of our engagement with China for its arms control discussions. In fact, I would say it hasn't even taken a firm first step. Uh, coming back and having the discussions with the leadership on how we want to go forward with that, I think we have an obligation to have those discussions.
11: Okay, I appreciate that. Does the administration... Uh, view China's participation on non-participation as relevant to New START's extension?
2: We recognize that to have a legitimate arms control discussion going forward on, on next terms of arms control, you have to have China in the mix.
11: So you're you are saying that you will not extend... Uh, the New START treaty unless China participates.
2: I, I didn't say that, Senator. I'm saying we're early We're early in the discussions with China. We're in the middle of an interagency agency discussion on next steps with New START. Know that those discussions are, are being had, but we haven't reached a conclusion as yet.
11: Now, I, I think it's pretty clear that um, the attempt to move this to multilateral uh, arms control talks with Russia and then adding in China is really a poison pill uh, to provide an excuse for not extending New START. That is my concern. And the reason that I believe that is that when I look at the administration's uh, intent to pull out of the Paris Agreement, the Iran nuclear um, deal, the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, and the uh, Arms Trade Treaty, that this just follows on part of that um, uh, pattern. So what confidence can you give us that the Trump administration's never-ending review of New START or new insistence that arms control be multilateralized is not really just an excuse to kill the New Stock Treaty.
2: Senator, I can assure as, as I stated uh, in September, but can, can build on that, because we've had considerable discussion since that point, both with partner and allies and with uh, Russia. Uh, the, our partners and allies have been very, very clear on who is at fault for the demise of the INF Treaty. I've, firm statement from Secretary General. In fact, when he briefed Congress uh, during his visit last month that Russia is the fault of that, we continue to uphold our obligations. So as the overseer of arms control for the State Department, I'm going to always maintain to call there their consequences when you don't fulfill your obligation. Uh, you call out that party. And that's what we've done with Russia and will continue to do with all parties. Arms control only works if you have a responsible partner on the other and side. And I agree
11: with that. But to the extent to which we have an opportunity to extend the uh, New START Treaty, then, in my opinion, we should take advantage of that. As President Kennedy used to say, because you cannot make progress on every front does not mean that you should not make progress on any front. So we have an opportunity here with the New START Treaty, and that's our principal you know, nuclear uh, rival, uh, and, his- and we have a his- history of reaching agreements with them. Uh, and from my perspective, I think that we should take this opportunity to uh, advance that goal and not allow a China problem, which it is, you know, to deter us from reaching that agreement. And that's why I've introduced the Save Act to ensure that the United States continue adhering to a functioning bilateral nuclear arms control agreement that is in our national security interest. I just think it makes, the most sense, because that's where our biggest problem is, not to say that we shouldn't also engage with China on this issue. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you, Senator Markey. I, with all due respect, and I mean that seriously, I don't think we need to have China as an excuse not to extend. I'm absolutely opposed to extension. It has nothing to do with China. I mean, under the present circumstances with their cheating and uh, other things that they do, uh, I'm opposed to extension. It has nothing to do with uh, with China's participation. But uh, anyway, in any in any event, thank you for those points. Um, I know uh, Senator Cruz wants to uh, has a couple of questions. Yes, Senator, Senator Menendez.
1: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, two comments and then two questions. First comment: I, I, When I was out, Mr. Chairman, because I had another hearing to attend to. I understand that uh, you stated that you were briefed uh, on uh, the present circumstances as it relates to Iran and our embassy in Iraq, and I appreciate that you were briefed. That still leaves the Democratic leader of this committee and every other Democratic member and 49 Democratic members of the Senate not briefed about what is happening, and uh, I, 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 I just hope that when it comes to something of such consequ- potentially consequential uh, significance that uh, we can be briefed so we can understand what we're dealing with. So uh, I appreciate that the Chairman was brief, but uh, you know I reiterate my call for all of us to be briefed. Uh, Madam Secretary, uh, let me just say, you responded to Senator Kane that it's not secret. Well, you, it's secret when you don't know that it exists, because you can't ask for something if you don't know that it exists. So how does Senator Cain know to ask for something if, in fact, if it wasn't but for a press report that this transaction took place? We would have known before because as members of the Senate, we would have been briefed that such a transaction took place, but we weren't. And so therefore, as far as I'm concerned, it is secret. Let me ask uh, uh, Deputy uh, Secretary Trachtenberg, do you agree with Congress's directive that nuclear uh, modernization is linked to the strategic arms control progress?
3: Uh, I agree, uh, Senator Menendez, that uh, nuclear Uh. modernization is important for arms control. Uh, But I also agree that and and believe that our nuclear modernization program stands on its own two legs, in, in this particular case, three legs,
1: Well, I I don't dispute the triad uh, 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 basis. But uh, my question, let me reiterate it again, because maybe my English isn't that good. Congress's directive directive, that nuclear modernization is linked to a strategic arms control process, do you agree that that is Congress's directive?
3: Uh, If you are, forgive me, Senator, are you talking about a specific provision of, of law? Uh,
1: When the modernization uh, efforts were done, Congress specifically directed that that modernization is linked to a strategic arms control process. Are you not aware of that?
3: I think our modernization is linked to strategic arms control process in that it enables us to engage in strategic arms control.
1: Do you agree that the current nuclear modernization program is predicated on working within the limits of New START?
3: I'm sorry, Senator?
1: Do you agree that the current nuclear modernization program is predicated on working within the limits of New START?
3: I think the current nuclear modernization program keeps uh, keeps the United States within the limits of New START. I'm not sure I would say it is predicated on the limits of New START, but it is consistent.
1: Do you agree that allowing New START to expire would require us to rethink our nuclear force structure because of the predictability and insights New START provides into Russian strategic nuclear forces.
3: I think the insight that New START provides in terms of uh, insight into Russian strategic nuclear forces is, in fact, valuable. And I agree with you on that. Uh, but again, I, I would suggest that our nuclear modernization program uh, is is critically important uh, and, and should be carried but, out. But irrespect- if
1: we did not know anymore what the- the Russians had, then we'd have to think about our own paradigm of what we think we would need in order to protect our nation. Is that not a fair statement?
3: Uh, I think that's a fair statement, sir. Uh,
1: Secretary Thompson, last question. The the US asserted Russia was responsible for the chemical weapons attack in the UK. The Chemical and Biological Weapons Act mandates sanctions be placed on Russia. Those sanctions are now more than five months late. Why has the administration failed to implement the mandated second round of sanctions?
2: We have uh, done the analysis with the sanctions, Senator. We have those teed up. Um, I would defer to the Secretary and the President, but my response would be it is part of a, a larger Russia strategy. But we have done great work. We've called them out. We've had the attribution mechanism, and we continue to call them out with the work that's been done with the OPCW. Do you believe
1: that when Congress mandates something, you have the discretion not to pursue it?
2: No, Senator, we've teed well, up the, the
7: sanctions at the timing. law is pretty clear, it
1: mandates it. Right, right. It's not a question of a broader Russia policy, it mandates it. And if we are consistently going to find that mandates mean nothing to the administration, then we're going to have to rethink our whole approach to the administration. Oh, There's Senator, a reason that Congress mandates things.
2: We've been extremely strong and vocal and active on pushing back on Russia's uh, heinous attack on the script holes in Salisbury, Uh, their work with the Assad regime. It's
1: not very very significant when there is a mandated sanction that should have been imposed five months ago, and all you can tell me is we're still thinking about it. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Welcome.
12: Uh, Under Secretary Thompson, uh, I'd like to ask you some questions about the State Department's policy towards Iran. Uh, The State Department, and as I understand it, your bureau in particular, Uh, has advocated for civil nuclear waivers to continue implementing parts of the catastrophic Obama-Iran nuclear deal uh, that allowed Iran to conduct nuclear research. Top State Department officials in your bureau have stated that it is your policy to facilitate, quote, international cooperation with Iran on a number of projects contemplated under the JCPOA that provide Iran opportunities to benefit from nuclear technology to signal our appreciation for the security benefits these projects were intended to provide. Elsewhere, officials, including those in your bureau, have touted the benefits of the so-called transparency as promised in the deal. These positions appear to be in significant tension, if not direct conflict, with the positions of President Trump. I find it troubling that we're continuing to implement parts of the nuclear deal, and I want to understand the basis for these decisions. Your predecessors in previous administrations suggested that Iran's access to civil nuclear technology hinges on whether Iran is a member in good standing in the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. During the Bush administration, Acting Under Secretary John Rood said Iran was no longer a, quote, member in good standing, of the NPT. Under the Obama administration, Under Secretary Rose Gottmuller said that Iran had been, quote, brought back into good standing with the nonproliferation treaty regime because of the Iran deal. I'm glad to note that recently the Trump administration appears to have reversed the Obama administration's whitewashing of Iran's conduct. Jeffrey Eberhardt has been nominated to be Special represent, Representative for Nuclear Non-Proliferation, recently confirmed to this committee in writing that, quote, Iran's standing as a non-nuclear weapons state party to the NPT cannot be described as good. That's a step in the right direction. First of all, I'd like to confirm that assessment. Do you consider Iran to be a member in good standing of the NPT?
2: Thank you, Senator, and I appreciate the support for uh, Jeff Eberhardt as his nomination process moves forward. He'll be a great representative of this administration for our country as we have th- those key discussions. I've known Jeff for quite a while now. Uh, we have concerns, and we laid out uh, those concerns. We've laid them out publicly and would uh, have more details if we, if we talk uh, at the classified level on th- some of the c- concerns that we have with the way Iran is going. And Jeff's reflection is, is a definite reflection of, of where we are today.
12: Okay, let, let me just try that again. Do, do you consider Iran to be a member in good standing of the NPT?
2: We have concerns, Senator. We have concerns with where they are going.
12: Do you agree with Mr. Eberhardt's statement in writing that, quote, Iran's standing as a non-nuclear weapon state party, the NPT, cannot be described as good?
2: That is correct, and that's what we laid out in the compliance report, and we can give you the, the background of that in a classified setting. Absolutely, Senator.
12: So why did why do you believe we should keep implementing parts of the nuclear deal, uh, allowing Iran to do nuclear research, even though Iran is not entitled to those benefits and and President Trump has correctly rejected uh, this foolhardy deal?
2: Again, Senator, uh, we give the information. Uh, Again, it's a rigorous interagency discussion with intelligence, with policy, with where DOD is, with DOE et cetera, and then we make a recommendation to the secretary, and he informs that w- with the president. We can, we can give you the background of that, on the classified version behind it, but there are in some areas, and that's why the secretary made the determination, some of the dates aren't, you know, the length isn't the same, and some of the areas on where it's in our best interest to have some of those waivers for shorter duration.
12: How is it possibly in our best interest to allow Iran to continue doing nuclear research in the Fordo bunker that was built into the side of a mountain to be able to develop nuclear weapons to use to murder Americans. How is that in our best interest?
2: Senator, again, this is a discussion that I'd prefer to have in the SCIF on what information we have and what information we don't have. With all respect,
12: the American people care deeply about this, so I am perfectly happy to have classified briefings, but whether we are allowing Iran to do nuclear weapons in a bunker designed to create weapons of mass destruction to murder Americans is an issue of concern to 28 million Texans. And, And so the American people are entitled to get an answer, if it is the State Department's position that that's a good idea, the American people
2: are entitled to know that. Yeah, absolutely, Senator. So I will give you the answer to the American people, to all those in Texas, and to uh, friends and family back in South Dakota. This president, this secretary, myself, and everyone in this administration will stand for what's right for the safety and security of the American people, bar none.
12: Okay, with all due respect, that didn't answer the question remotely. Is it in our interest to allow Iran to continue to do nuclear research in the Fordo facility?
2: The decision made by this administration and with the secretary for this last round is always in the interest of the American people, Senator. Thank you.
12: So it really is the position that every decision state makes is always in the decision of the American people?
2: The safety and security?
12: Yes, sir. That—that That is a stunning Orwellian position. Uh, and, and let me be the first to say that I don't believe that's true in any administration, that every decision an elected official makes or an appointed official makes is by definition in the interests of the American people, and that's one of the reasons Congress has oversight responsibility.
2: Uh, Senator, I, I won't do a challenge here in, in public. I will tell you, I took an oath, as did you, to, this, to the, the Constitution and the uh, American people and to the enemies, foreign and domestic. My underlying going in position is always the safety and security of the American people. I did that as a soldier, I did that as a national security advisor to the Vice President, and I'm doing it as the Under Secretary of State.
12: As we now know, the nuclear archives seized by the israelis contained a wealth of new information about iran's nuclear program we know that western intelligence agencies and the international atomic energy agency didn't know about these elements of iran's nuclear program because the iaea declared in 2015 that iran never conducted activities which the archives now clearly show that iran conducted they were keeping nuclear weapons blueprints on the shelf to use later Do you consider Iran's past possession of the nuclear archives seized by Israel last year, including the materials in the archives relevant to the development of nuclear weapons, to constitute noncompliance by Iran of any of its nonproliferation obligations?
2: Again, Senator, I would prefer to talk about what is in uh, those documents not to be uh, done in an open forum okay it those
12: documents are, are, are now public and have been released to the world
2: so there there's information there that we're protecting sources and methods and in all candor I will give you that information I would prefer I'll to tell do you what just scale. refer
12: to the public part that you can go to the internet and read so I'm not asking for classified portions I'm asking for the public portions of the archives that the Israelis sees that show Iran in open defiance do you agree with that
2: I agree with the process that they have in the past years of those documents was disconcerting, absolutely.
12: Then why would the State Department continue to give waivers to allow them to conduct nuclear research, particularly in the Fordo site? I I mean, that I find staggering. It's a bunker built in the side of a mountain. It's not a medical research facility. It's not a diaper factory. It is a bunker built to make nuclear weapons and the State Department has signed waivers saying, Iran, the Ayatollah can continue to do nuclear research there.
2: How is that possibly in the interest of the United States? I would say that's your assessment, Senator. I would not characterize it as such.
9: Well, that's the problem.
0: Thank you, Senator Cruz. Senator King, you had one more question? Is that-
9: I, d- I did. Thank you, Mr. Chair, for indulging. Um, I, and if I could, I'd like to introduce in the record an article from the Washington Post dated January 21. No, January 23, 2019, titled Can Saudi Arabia Produce Ballistic Missiles? Satellite Imagery Raises Questions. Um, The the article opened, satellite images suggest that Saudi Arabia has constructed its first known ballistic missile factory, according to weapons experts and image analysts, a development that raises questions about the kingdom's increasing military and nuclear ambitions under its 33-year-old crown prince. The article goes on to describe satellite imagery uh, quotes various individuals suggesting that the design of the facility appears to be of Chinese origin and also recounts past history of Saudi purchases or acquisition of, new, of missile technology from both Pakistan and China. What can you tell me from the DOD or its State Department about your conclusions about is Saudi Arabia developing a ballistic missile capacity, including the manufacture of such weapons, and whether we know whether that is being done via transfers of technology from Pakistan, China, or any other nation?
3: Uh, Senator, it's a good question. From DOD's perspective, uh, I I would, uh, with your permission, wanna take that one for the record and refresh myself on that particular article that you're citing and and get some of the additional background on it, if if I may.
9: Fair enough, how about from the State Department? Secretary Thompson.
2: Yes, sir. I'll, t- I'll take that back. I can tell you with our, our one, two, three discussions. If, if with uh, with that, we have been in discussions with Saudi for I think it's been 12 years now. So not a new development. Um, but we'll take that back uh, for the record.
9: Great. Thank you, Mr. Chair.
0: Thank you, Senator Kim. Well, uh, this uh, concludes our hearing. This morning. Thank. Uh, real sincere thank you to our two witnesses. Uh, I think this has been a very robust uh, discussion that uh, that this body desperately needs to have. We really appreciate uh, your uh, attendance here and, uh, and, and your input into this. Um, for the information the members, the record will remain open until the close of business on Friday, and we'd ask that uh, as quickly as possible that you uh, respond to any of those questions so that uh, uh, we can move forward. And with that, uh, no further business for the committee. The committee will be adjourned.